Welcome to Unlocking Cyber, a special series from The Daily Decrypt. This is where curiosity meets courage and action is inspired. Join us as we explore pathways for newcomers to carve their niche in the cyber realm, making the complex accessible and the impossible achievable. Your expedition into cybersecurity starts now. Welcome to Unlocking Cyber, a special series from the Daily Decrypt. Today, it is me, Offset Keys, and I will be interviewing Dogespan on his cybersecurity career, what helped him get into cybersecurity, what he does now, what makes him tick, what keeps him up at night. So, big round of applause for Dogespan for being here. Thank you. It's my pleasure. To kick things off... I'm going to hook the listeners, and we're going to talk about what is possible once you break into cybersecurity. So can you go ahead and just tell us a little bit about what you're currently doing? So right now, I am a cloud detection engineer. That is someone that focuses primarily on cloud infrastructure, mm -hmm. software as a service. You get your M365s, Google Workspace, all of that stuff. I like to look at the logs that are generated from those sources, get them into our analysis, whether that's a SIM, whatever type of log ingestion. We look at the data as it comes in, figure out what's security relevant, and then from there, figure out what's going to be logged when an attacker goes and attacks a company's infrastructure. Okay, that's pretty cool. I guess before we go into more specifics, what is your security experience overall? What have you done? How did you learn it? So what are your previous roles? So I started out as a SOC analyst, looking at the basic of the basic, your active directory logs, looking at AD, some yeah. really low-level network stuff, your flow data and suricata. From there... I pivoted into vulnerability management and spent about a year just doing everything vulnerability. It was a nice transition because if anybody's familiar with the SOC, the SOC can drain you. <laughs> Long hours, nights, weekends, it's a crazy schedule, and you're just on your toes all the time. So you spent some time with vulnerabilities and compliance, and then went into a consulting role as a security engineer. So security engineer consulting, working with Fortune 500 level companies, helping guide them through their security journey, prioritizing what they needed to lock down and also helping coach them. Huge. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And then the consulting led straight into cloud detection engineering pretty much? Yeah, I was really interested in detection design and then wanted to go that route and previously i would say my specialization would be more along the lines of network forensics but i was fortunate that there was two spots open at this company and one was for network detection the other one was for cloud so i did really want to learn cloud and get more comfortable in that space so why not dive headfirst into it and be absolutely required to learn and be successful at it that is the best way to learn when it's absolutely required. And that's huge context to have, especially given this podcast theme in career, starting in career development, where sometimes your specialty isn't maybe the most marketable, or maybe you need to make a choice to learn something new to stack your resume a little more. And it's a hard choice. Did you feel comfortable 
making that choice? Yes and no. I was very comfortable with the company that I was at because it, it was an internal move. So pivoting into detection design, I was familiar with the way that we were reviewing data and what we were focusing on. And it was just layering on the methodologies of detection and then learning cloud. And luckily I was, it wasn't just, hey, you got to learn how to detect off of AWS, Azure, GCP, M365. You have to do all of these things next week. It was, where do you want to go? So my interest was infrastructure and nobody was covering Microsoft on the team. So I said, I'm going to make Microsoft my priority. Heck yeah. Sign me up. Mm -hmm. That's, I think that's another huge lesson to learn. Find a niche. Even if you don't know anything about the niche, find a place where you're needed and no one else is covering it and, and dive in. There's always places you can move from there if, if you end up hating it. Cloud is the future. Network is the past. Even networks are becoming cloud now. So I think that was a very smart career move. Do you still love it? How long have you been doing it? Two years of cloud detection engineering. Yeah. I do thoroughly enjoy it. I will say that I miss the consulting. That was a little bit, I would say just more engaging getting the chance to work with different groups of people. You're tackling different problems on a day-to-day -day basis. And at the end of the day, you get that direct feedback. If you've gone and done a review for a customer and then you pr provide this data to them, they had no idea that they had devices beaconing out or something. <laughs> and you're yeah. handing them this and you're like, okay, you got this number of devices that are beaconing out. This isn't a confirmed CNC device, but it looks like it from what we're seeing. What are these devices? And they go, oh, I don't even know. Wow. So you're highlighting this huge gap that then spurs all sorts of questions that they go in and they start fixing. And then they come back the next time you meet and they go, hey, we had no idea that these devices were even on the network. They don't need to be beaconing out to these. So we've implemented firewall rules, et cetera. And yeah, it's just nice. You get that direct feedback. Yeah, you get to see Where your impact face-to-face. -face. You get to say, "I'm like, here's something you should do, and then watch them do it, and then see how it changes their network and their environment. Whereas, assuming, I've never been an, a detection engineer, but assuming that you spend months writing a detection, and then you maybe don't even get to see it trigger because you've moved on to the next detection, and you don't really get that dopamine hit of, of catching the bad guy. Mm -hmm. A lot of times... Yeah, we do spend anywhere. It can be a day. It could be something quick that you read about that you're able to go in and fire off. But then others, it can be a couple of weeks because you're hunting for that data in whatever data set that you have. And if you can't find it, then you got to go figure out, well, this is what the attacker is doing. So how can I replicate it? So then that's where a lot of the cloud learning comes in because you, you get the opportunity to maybe spin up some in infrastructure you get to set up that m365 enterprise license or something mm. so it's rewarding on that side because you get to build some stuff you get to do a lot of learning in the route uh, along the road but then two or three weeks worth of research and design mm -hmm. you send it out as a detection and then you just you get the numbers right sometimes you don't even know if it's like a true positive or false positive you just see oh yeah my detection fired a hundred times last week the consultants are the one who get to to see if it's a true positive it's a false positive so hopefully the lines of communication between you and the consultants are strong mm -hmm. but that's the other thing 
it seems like the way you describe detection engineering, there's a lot of learning to be done. I always attribute the most learning in a role to being a consultant where you're working for multiple customers of varying sizes and scales with varying infrastructures and you're actually getting to learn so many different facets of security. So I guess I'm curious from your perspective, which of your roles has been the most educational? Definitely the consulting. And mm -hmm. that's where, yeah, I agree with you. You get exposed to different environments. So it's, you're having to be flexible. You're having to target a specific problem. And it may be a couple of firewall vendors that you've never heard of. You've never looked at any of those logs. You don't know what these vulnerabilities are. There was a handful of times that I would do research into a product or a service because it had these vulnerabilities and the customer, they had no idea why it was brought on mm. and you got to talk them through it and you're trying to help them out. So there's a ton of learning to do, but no matter what you're doing in cybersecurity, there is always a ton of learning to be done. It's just the approach that you take to it. Yeah. Biggest advice is learn how you learn. That's huge. You know, your description of a consultant right there reminds me of your description of when you went into cloud where you were forced to learn it and that's the way that you learn. And so if you have a customer that you're on the phone with who's asking you about a Fortinet firewall that you've never even heard of, you are now forced to learn about Fortinet firewalls for the sake of your customer and your job. I'm sure that was very educational and I'm a little jealous of that experience that you have there. That's so cool. And I guess as a follow-up question, what was the most stressful role you've ever had? Consulting. <laughs> you have a Fortune 500 and you're, you got to make sure that you've done your due diligence on that recommendation because if you're mm. turning off a service or blocking something and you haven't looked at it from every angle possible, you could be shutting down a portion of their business, all of their business, for anywhere from a very short period of time to... Way too long. And that is one of the pillars of cybersecurity. Uh, availability. It's just as important as any of the other pillars. We want to make sure that they're able to make money to pay you. So if you shut down their infrastructure, uh, you're fired. So I knew it was consulting. I know how uh, stressful that is. It's just a little bit of advice, not necessarily advice, but perspective for our listeners that sometimes the most stressful jobs are the most educational and you shouldn't steer away necessarily from the stress if you have the choice. Maybe it's not a permanent move. Both of us are not in consulting anymore. Like You, you can get out of it, but the education mm -hmm. you'll get from consulting and other various stressful roles like penetration testing or, or anything will far outweigh the, the gray hairs temporarily anyways. Oh, definitely. And then, like you said, those opportunities, they're always going to be there. Like, yeah. I do miss aspects of sock work and oh, yeah. if i came across a sock role that had a good schedule right i might consider it <laughs> i could do a night shift again i think i'm gonna be going back in the night yeah that, those were fun times they were. were fun times i i, I miss it too especially the more that i learn about the intricacies of cybersecurity, the more i want to comb through some customers cloud environment to do some threat hunting and i don't really have the opportunity now in my current role to do any sort of threat hunting so i do miss that as well but yeah they don't pay very well and they have bad schedules <laughs> done your time as a night shifter you've done your time as a consultant and now you get to live the cushy detection life but there are better opportunities over the horizon you don't even know what's coming yeah that's super cool i don't know much about detection engineering 
it it seems to me like very academic and boring just because you're reading through logs and then you're finding unique identifiers for those logs and writing detections for it. And it's a lot of research and I'm kind of ADHD, but I think for me, it helps me to think of detection engineers as like a police detective and you're developing tools for a police detective to use to solve the crime. And now it's like a romance novel. And now I'm like, wow, <laughs> you're you're developing a new fingerprint detector for people to find criminals that have been, you know, something like that. But yeah, like what are some of the craziest things you get to do on the day to day? It's studying the hacker techniques and you want to look for the behaviors. Okay, what are their trends? An attacker is going to get into your mailbox and probably silence your emails. So you can detect for that, but then what's after that? If you're already generating a lot of detections off of that activity, maybe an analyst isn't gonna look at that when it comes across. So what's the next step? Or maybe there are other steps. So it's really just trying to simulate what the attacker is gonna be doing. And that's where the research comes in, depending on the environment that you're dealing with. A lot of times there's a lot of that data. And then we don't have the added pressure most of the time that you have to get something out there because you're running off of a hypothesis. You think attacker might be pivoting from off of the cloud source into an endpoint. Mm -hmm. So you're trying to figure out what that path traversal is. Okay. So you're straight up nerd. Like that doesn't sound exciting to me. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's so cool to be able to shift your, your perspective and look at things from an attacker's perspective. And that's probably what makes you a great detection engineer. Like you said, people are silencing their emails all the time. People are pinging other things, but it's the combination of all of them, which is so cool. That's where creativity comes into play and you get to satisfy both sides of your brain. And that's cool. There's a lot of creativity to be explored. Your whole career has led you to this point. And you had a whole career prior to starting as a SOC analyst as well. We can talk about that in a minute. But what sort of skills do you think are most influential that led you to specifically detections engineering? I don't know. Is it a skill? It's curiosity and drive, I would say. Everything else you can practice, you can learn, but the biggest thing was just that overall curiosity and identifying a gap in my knowledge. Like I said, I didn't have any cloud experience or very, very little cloud experience. So that was my next step is I really wanted to learn that. So why not just dive headfirst into it and then throw the deadline? Because I think you were talking about it earlier, that helps with mm -hmm. the learning in the consultant perspective you have be an expert on something or you got to be able to explain it to them so this was that that end of it just like in college you yep. blow off the assignment until it's due tomorrow and that's how i was looking at the next steps of my career is yeah i need to learn cloud but yeah. meh i can do that tomorrow oh yeah i have a funny story about <laughs> deadlines it's well my video it's so interesting because I'm doing my master's at Sands right now and the classes are th three months long and I have zero issue getting them done. But I, I have this other class 
ironically about detections engineering, that has no test and has no deadline, and I'm just letting it float. I've progressed through all my sand stuff on my own. Like, there's no actual deadlines other than you have three months to complete this test. But, yeah, deadlines help so much for me. They help so much for you. And maybe that will inspire our listeners to provide fake deadlines, real deadlines, whatever works for you guys. Find a buddy. Find somebody to hold you accountable. Even if you're not studying the same things, somebody to just call you up once a week and be like, so did you do it? Hmm. It's very helpful. It's really, really, it's hard to be that buddy because buddies mm-hmm. just want to be buddies and they just want to support you and then let you fail. But to find a buddy that holds you accountable, that's another skill that you have. Not only be that buddy, but to not push that buddy away. And that's hard to do. When someone calls you out on your crap, you got to bring them closer. You got to listen. You got to nourish that relationship please call me out and that's even hard to find in a professional setting a lot of times you can't even get your colleague to call you out nope you'll hear it through your manager six weeks later Mm -hmm. (laughs) you can't even get your manager to call you out i was praising (laughs) my manager just two weeks ago for giving me the first constructive feedback i've gotten as a cybersecurity professional i said this Mm. is great it hurt I cried a little, mm-hmm. but I said thank you, thank you so much. <laughs> for... Yes, thank you. Now I now I have guidance. I know where to go. So it's really hard to be that person, even if you're not like in leadership proper. You can still be that person. What? would you say was the most essential thing you did to help you break into cybersecurity? I guess, first of all, let me narrow that down a little bit. What sparked your interest in cybersecurity? Remind us how old you were when you got into it on your current career path. Oh, so I was a professional musician for roughly 10 years. Rough is a good word for that. Yeah. Um, yeah, for those of you that haven't tried to be a professional musician, <laughs> it is a difficult pathway. Very difficult pathway. Mm. I, I was always interested in computers and tech, and I always tinkered. I just had that natural curiosity. Even back when Xbox 360s were breaking and blue screening, I, I would buy oh. busted ones for cheap and crack them open and try to fix them. Did you succeed? Some successful. Okay. I had to. I had two. Ooh, two. That's two more than I had. Uh, I won't talk about the other <laughs> end of that number. <laughs> <laughs> but, fair. yeah, I lucked into a local computer job, so I was doing computer repair, and then, again, having that curiosity. Uh, the company that I was working for, we also supported local businesses, and up to, like, I don't even know if you'd say medium small cities doing their IT and supplementing that side of things. So I was fixing computers and then started trying to learn Windows administration, like a little bit further into like 2003 <laughs> Active Directory, you know, Windows Server 2003. We were breaking into 2008. But yeah, that's that's what I was learning on the side. And so I was able to claw my way out of just doing computer repair. But 
probably the biggest thing that stood out was one day me and my boss were driving to a uh, client and he just said, you know what you need to do to have a successful career? You need to learn cybersecurity. Oh. And I said, that's lame. What am I going to do? Write firewall rules and <laughs> antivirus signatures? That doesn't sound fun. So the reason why he said to learn cybersecurity is because there was lots of money in it. Oh, okay. That's so th that's what pivoted back as I went, well, I need to get back into tech because that's what I did before. So cybersecurity is supposed to have lots of money involved. Let me go that route. Yep. Musicianship um, does not, it turns <laughs> yeah, out. It's complete opposite. So yeah, we'll take it. Yeah. Started doing some college courses and it wasn't really until first hacking class. It was a lot of like server administration and networking. You're learning even N plus prep courses and even security plus was kind of a boring prep course, but I did certified ethical hacker and that was a lot of fun. I hadn't read about Kali Linux and stuff like that. And so getting into that, learning the attack stages and playing around with it was like, oh, this is what's involved with cybersecurity. Okay. Yeah. I can do this. Love that. Yeah. Thanks for calling out Security Plus being boring. Highly, highly recommend against if you're curious about cybersecurity, don't go get a cyber or a Security Plus. It's going to just solidify that it's not for you. It's the most boring thing I've ever done. But Certified Eth Ethical Hacker, there's some 10 $10 courses online where you can mm -hmm. go get an ethical hacking education and play around in labs and stuff like that. So that's cool. I'm, it's, I was just talking to my girlfriend about this the other day where you are a culmination of all the things you've lucked into hearing, right? So whether that be facts or whether that be whatever you like just in passing heard something that's changed my life. I'm like, that can't be real. And so you just happen to have someone in the car with you who said, Hey, cybersecurity makes a lot of money. And if that's not the case for any of our listeners, I, I want to hear from you. Please shoot us a DM. But everyone I know has had that same experience. So our goal with this podcast is to be that person for you. Go into cybersecurity. It's great. You'll make a lot of money. The, the person I'm talking to today was the person that did that for me. And we'll have a whole mm -hmm. other episode talking about my upbringing in cybersecurity. But it's just someone has to put that little idea in your head. And if it doesn't sound absolutely terrible, check it out. It could be fun. So yeah, thanks for sharing that story. So once you decided you did not want to be a musician anymore, what you started applying, did you start applying for jobs immediately? Did you go to school? Like what was your next step? No, I was in the US military oh, as a musician. <laughs> Just kidding. And one of the great things about the military is that while you're in, they will pay for your degree. They give you so much money to go to school. So if anybody's serving right now, I highly recommend just taking advantage of that. Yep. Yeah. It's not too difficult to just do a couple courses a semester. I know the military life is ridiculous. And that's all I did. Served for six years and throughout that time got a bachelor's degree in cybersecurity. But nice. yeah, that's my nights and weekends. I would spend time with the family and then spend time at school. Right. So you're a family man. You're in the military. And for those of you who are not in the military, they own you and they own your time. So you're looking at 12 hour days and you're going to school on nights and weekends 
pursuing cybersecurity. You have traditional education. You have structured education. You have a degree in cybersecurity. Do you – what do you think is – more influential, more educational for you personally, the structured education you got or things you did outside of that structure? It was definitely the things that I did outside. Uh, my degree was, was pursuing this degree and I had already worked in IT for a couple of years like as a sysadmin. So I had a few years under my belt in that role. And then I never dropped tech. I was always messing with things and tinkering. So like by the time it came to doing a lot of these courses, it it was kind of boring. Like I said, the CEH was kind of the first one that really lit up the interest and made me realize, okay, I'm, this is a good choice. I know what I'm getting into. Even though I never did anything pen test related, it was still just that that gateway to go, okay, this is what we're trying to prevent. Super. So it was definitely, it was everything outside of there. I would do a couple courses, but then I was reading or looking into other tools you come across a podcast that was talking about sim so you go okay what the heck is a sim because they were like there weren't any yes exactly the sims 4 oh yeah so yeah you hear about these things nessus ten you you have no idea what it is so that was a lot of it was okay what are these podcasters talking about so either it was researching or going, hey, how can I, is there a cheap, easy way I can plug that into my home network and see what it does? Well, what the heck is a sim? I'm over here fantasizing about what's her face from the neighborhood. The the, the I can't remember any of the names, so I'm embarrassing myself. You know the one. The goth one. <laughs> I think her last name was literally goth. That's So, so when I hear when I, when I hear sim, what do, what do you hear? Security event and incident management system. So what that does is it's a centralized application, platform, service, however you've built it, to take in all the data from whatever you need that would be security relevant. So you want endpoint data, so stuff from your Windows, your Macs, whatever you're responsible for from a security point of view. If you can get network data, that's going to give you a little bit more of what's going on. The goal behind it is to help that SOC analyst paint the picture as to what's going on. Give them gotcha. all the tools that they need to dig in and figure out if there's something bad happening or not. And it, I'm being purposefully curious and pretending like I don't have the experience <laughs> that I have, but it sounds like something that a SOC analyst, an entry-level cybersecurity employee would be quite familiar with. It sounds like when you look at what a SIM is doing, all of those same things are happening at your house. So it would be natural to be curious about, hey, the only way for me to get experience with a SIM is to get a security analyst job. And the only way to get a security analyst job is to have experience with a SIM. And so one plus one equals three. I'm going to make a sim, get experience with that, and then apply for a SOC analyst job, I guess. Is that kind of your thought process? That was some of it. I didn't understand the impact that a sim, like how re reliant an organization can be on a sim. Because that was the other thing. The college courses didn't cover the different aspects of it. I had to write up you know, stuff that came from a vulnerability scan or... Uh, you would go about making some firewall changes. And then if you're just running a Linksys, not to 
bash Linksys or anything. There's limited stuff you can do. Yeah, you can go and play with some firewall worlds and poke around that way. But a lot of them don't offer virtual lands, you know, VLAN. You can't mm. get into complex networking, and I think that really helps pivot into security as well. It wasn't so much about spinning up a sim for me first right off the bat because I didn't understand how important it was until a little bit later. But my first stage was, okay, I need to be... I don't know if I'm fully into being a red teamer, but I want... I definitely want to be on the blue team side. I don't know what role I want to play. Mm. First things first, I need to secure my network. How can I do that? Yeah. Well, there's open source firewalls that you can spin up. So like EFSense, OPNSense. Yeah. You can sp spin those up. You can either put them on a, a dedicated computer or put it on a uh, virtual machine and you can start routing your internet and everything through that. And one of the fun things is it's kind of complicated. So you might keep things from working. So if you want to watch Netflix, you got to <laughs> figure out how the firewall works so you can watch Netflix. <laughs> See that and to me... Like, that to me sounds like what we were talking about earlier, where if you need to learn something, you got to make sure that you have to learn it. And if you're unplugging your internet from the, the cable company router and plugging it into a Dell workstation with PFSense on it, you're going to learn networking, my friends. Especially if you have a family, yeah. and that family includes children that, I mean, family is dependent on the internet. So if you mess up that internet, you got work to yeah, do. You're going to so There's that motivation. Yeah. There it is. Okay, so you got a router. You needed to secure your network, so you did that with PFSense, OpenSense on a Dell workstation or a VM or whatever mm -hmm. was accessible to you. And you don't want to be perceived as a fraud. Or what was your motivation there for needing to secure your network? I figured at some point when I got my degree, I was going to have to go do an interview. And they were going to ask me something that was a little bit more in-depth than what port 80 is yeah <laughs> probably <laughs> so i didn't want to spend a ton of time mem memorizing all the ports i wanted to do something that would say it, i haven't been in to a company to secure them but here's what my house looks like right now yeah and that was the motivation oh you're referencing an interview that we were actually in right <laughs> that was the interview <laughs> that was so how did they like that so I did get asked, uh, I was fortunate because I did a few interviews before this. Mm -hmm. This interview got me the job as a SOC analyst, but the gentleman interviewing me asked me, if you had unlimited budget, what would you, how would you secure your home network? And I said, I don't have an unlimited budget, but here's how I'm doing it. So yeah, it was walking him through. I said, okay, I got you know, modem coming in from the ISP. It's going right to a... L workstation that is running ESXi with a PFSense VM virtual machine split it out into several VLANs because I wanted things to be segmented out, keep my IOT off on its own land. That side note, segmenting your network and then making IOT things work precisely <laughs> with other things. So, oh yeah. Yeah. I walked him through that whole stage and then I was just, because I started reading more about SOC analyst jobs, I was just scratching the surface of putting a SIM in. So I kind of talked about where I was going down that road. Yeah. And that got me the job. Okay. So, yeah, they liked that answer? Mm -hmm. Like a lot? Or were they just like satisfied with it? Wishing you had a different answer? What's the deal? 
It definitely got me the job. Uh, Ask me some questions to follow, go a little bit further, ask you everything that's on your resume. Cause I put, you know, new Python. So he flat yeah. out asked me, what's, what's your skill level? And I go, I've messed with it. And he goes, okay, if I gave you a project, how long, how much time would you spend on Stack Overflow? I'm like 90 for 100 of my time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, Honesty is key. Y'all. Yeah. Oh, he liked that answer. Um, and then yeah, he basically said that they'll hear from me for next steps um, as I was getting ready to leave. Someone else, a part of the interview process, walked in and just asked how it was going. And he said, seems to be going pretty well. I asked him about this and this and this. I guess I could drill you about ports. What's port 25? And I was just like, I got no idea. <laughs> so you didn't get the job because you didn't know what port 25 was? No, he said, that doesn't matter. You can Google it. It doesn't that. matter. Google yeah. it. Yeah. It's the application of putting it all together, putting those pieces mm -hmm. of that research. Yeah, and I ended up becoming pretty close with the gentleman that interviewed me. He became a great mentor uh, to me, and that one of the conversational points that he would bring up pretty often with other people was: yeah. I interviewed this guy, I hired him mm -hmm. because of his curiosity and willingness to implement these things. So he's telling other people what he looks for in mm -hmm. an employee, and that model is someone who follows their curiosity and takes chances and walks into the dark room that they don't know what's in there, knowing that they'll come out successful. That's the theme of this podcast, the theme of how to break into cybersecurity and what Doja Span used to break into cybersecurity. I'm curious if that is teachable. I think yes. I think there's hope for anybody. I think it stems from self-confidence and confidence in your own abilities to learn. And if you do not have that confidence, you might be more willing to settle for what you already know and not really work on things you don't know because you're not sure you'll be able to learn them, blah, 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 blah. But maybe you can't teach curiosity, but I think work on your self-confidence. If you catch yourself doubting yourself throughout the day, check in on that and try something new, learn something new. It's a muscle that needs to be flexed and it's not going to flex itself. So really like that. I never really thought about it as a point of confidence, but I can definitely relate. There's times that been fucking in cybersecurity for a little over five years, you have those moments that it's you don't know things and you keep hitting walls of not knowing things and confidence that you once had starts going down and Finding that and finding the drive to pick up the next project and go, okay, I couldn't figure that one out, but here I gotta, I gotta move on. I gotta stand right back up and dive into this project and yep. accept the outcome. Easier said than done, but every moment you falter in life is a moment to prove your worth to yourself. And anytime you get back up, you stand a stronger person. And those strengths are very marketable. So mm -hmm. whether or not you're doing a project to get a job, to satisfy your own curiosity, or to prove to yourself that you're confident and you can actually learn things, what's important is that you stand up and you face challenge head on. Thanks for setting an example for not only our listeners, but for all the employees at your presumably former company and uh, for giving your interviewer hope all for, for following his curiosity.
Well, yeah. You heard it here first, folks. Curiosity may have killed the cat, but it sparked a career in cybersecurity. So follow your heart, follow your mind. Nothing is out of your reach. Huge thanks to Dogespan for coming on and, and being so vulnerable and sharing his experiences. Thanks for being a mentor. Thanks for being a friend. And stay tuned for further episodes of Unlocking Cyber.